I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Anna Leary, a multidisciplinary consultant based in Boston, a climate advocate, and a conservation commissioner. She's a champion of a low-carbon future and a worldwide net-zero economy. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. An expert and thought leader in climate change and sustainable international business and development, Anna has been spearheading research, education, and policy in sustainability and solving complex problems for over a decade. She's committed to creating a better future by advocating for innovative methods and to advance global climate action and sustainable development. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Anna Leary, a multidisciplinary consultant based in Boston, a climate advocate, and a conservation commissioner. Anna, welcome to the Climate Champions. Hi, Lee. It's great to be here. What first got you interested and motivated to do something about climate change? As a political science undergrad, I remember vividly my introduction to environmental studies. It occurred in a theology course of all places where comparative religion met political philosophy. At the moment, it was a realization for me that we're all reliant on nature, not only for our survival, our sustenance, our economy, the way we organize ourselves as societies. And at the end of the day, we're all connected to one another. And it made me think a little bit more thoroughly about how businesses, governments, scientists, and civil societies are looking to race to this net zero, I guess, goal. And it really leads me to ask a lot of questions. What climate solutions do we need first? Which communities will be the most impacted? Will these solutions address the needs of the most vulnerable? You know, in terms of where this first became a huge question for me, it came from education. And it also, for me, indicates that education is the impetus for social change, and maybe we should start there. What are your current personal drivers that motivate you to get up every day and do things and do activities and invest your time in things to help mitigate climate change? I've dedicated years of my career leading local conservation efforts, analyzing global climate policy, and advocating for corporate sustainability. It is a motivating factor for so many reasons. I think whether you're an optimist or a pessimist about what's going to happen with the climate. In my mind, I don't wanna be at the end of my life, someone who is just an observer. I think participating in any way that I can, whether it's in local efforts, trying to get community members involved, making change at a regional level, creating projects that bring people together over something that they care deeply about. These are all things that motivate me to work either as a consultant or work to make a community better. When you meet somebody that doesn't understand the data behind climate change or doesn't understand the facts or doesn't believe them, how do you convince them otherwise? Fortunately, I think because the pandemic has shifted that denier conversation away from climate change to other areas of science, recently that hasn't been a conversation I've been having very frequently. 
but I think to answer your question a little differently, in thinking about how children can view nature, their relationship to it, and what their role is going to be either as young adults or going into adulthood and thinking about our relationship just with the environment around us, I think that's a starting point, talking about the tenets of how interrelated everything is and the importance of treating things that exist as having a need for respect, right? Either not polluting or not deforesting or treating water resources as something precious. And so I think before talking about climate change to those who maybe don't have a real science background yet, it's giving a basic understanding of the fragility of nature and how we relate to it. What do you personally do to help mitigate climate change? In my community, we realized during the pandemic that there was a severe lack of regard for certain areas of environmental management in our town. And a group of us got together to try to influence new policies with regard to tree removal, with regard to habitats that needed better protection. And in that process, I learned how much impact individuals can have when they focus on the local level. As someone who has witnessed and observed and studied UN climate conferences for decades and felt just impotent watching it and not feeling like there's anything that I can do, a silver lining of the pandemic for me was really organizing at the community level. And from that, not only seeing change in a daily way, but also from the perspective of them being appointed to the Conservation Commission within a very few months span in creating policies that would not only affect our town, but parts of our region. So in terms of climate mitigation, it's interesting that I'd never really appreciated before getting involved in my community as deeply as I have recently, that conservation is a part of the climate solution conversation. And while climate tech is a big part of the 2022 conversation with regard to investments and private equity and venture funding, and that's all very important and needs to be done, I think a lot of the work that municipalities can do and states can do, and obviously the federal government hopefully will continue to do, is encourage swaths of land to be kept as conservation land. And the reason for that is it's a low-tech solution. It does create the need for effort and for resources to go towards that, but it doesn't necessitate any kind of new technology. It's something that we already have and perhaps underutilize. I never thought about it that way. I'm always focused on what kind of technology could save the day, but just conserving and not doing stupid things to our environment would make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate issues when in reality, it's more of a shift. And it's more of a, not an ideological shift, but perhaps of a resource approach. If we took resources and applied them differently, how could we have a better impact from a policy level, for example, or even in private industry and in companies, if we utilized services in a way that had the environment in mind, think about all of the different ways that processes, supply chains, even offices could be run from a vastly different approach 
And so I think increasingly where I see everything from kindergartens to MBA students talking about sustainability and hopefully in the next generation boards and CEOs being sustainable leaders, I'm hopeful that in 20 or 30 years from now, we're not going to have to be climate activists or climate leaders or climate solutions oriented professionals. It's just going to become a part of everyday language. I hope you're right. That's a great vision. (laughs) How has the pandemic impacted what you do to help mitigate climate change? I think the pandemic in, in many ways has exposed what many of us who have been studying climate change for a long time have already known, that disruptions are not in the long term, but in the near future. And as a society, as a global community, we've seen it occur in a very impactful, very intensive way during these last two years. When people compare that to what they understand about climate change, I think it it hits home that these kinds of shifts in weather or in intensive storms, depending on your geography and where you live, could significantly alter the way we conduct business, the way we live our lives, and maybe the decisions that we make about where we live and how we decide as, as a country, really, what to prioritize either the next election or as consumers. And so I think the pandemic in many ways, it provided us a lesson and hopefully it's a lesson that we've all learned now that if we don't take this seriously and we don't approach it with a degree of attention that's needed, that we're gonna consider the next 10 years, a decade of many disruptions. You're making me very scared. I think one of the reasons is because many disruptions, just that concept, but then combine that with the idea that people now believe because they experienced the pandemic, but I think a lot of people still don't. But I do agree, more people see that there are consequences for action. Can you talk about your prior background? How did you get where you are? I started academically as a political science student, someone who was fascinated by international development and social science. And from there, I went to study environmental science because I was very excited about the idea that I could bring political science into policy and meld that with the deep need for governments to think about climate from regional policy to federal policy and how that intersects with areas of other either topics like waste or energy. And so it was a very exciting time to be studying climate, especially where my studies brought me to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And in that experience, I was able to work alongside an NGO in a social environmental education project where we worked with vulnerable waste pickers over the course of many months to develop a cooperative and also provide professionalization services and education around essentially teach the community about what it means to be an environmental steward. So my background is very heavy, not only on the education portion of environment and looking at climate from a holistic and society perspective, but I've also really enjoyed working with communities that are underserved and vulnerable to the effects of climate change. Can you talk about setbacks you've had in your career? After working in this incredible project in Brazil, transferring those skills into something that would become a normal kind of 
longer term career position in Brazil, because I continued to live there after that, was a challenge. It was hard to understand kind of my positioning, especially as a young, just graduated master's student who had focused on research for so many years. But I think in everything in life, things happen for a reason. And at the time, I had a phenomenal opportunity to work in the public health sector at one of the most prestigious research institutes in the world in Brazil. And it turned out that the land where we were working was actually the last 5% of Atlantic rainforest in Sao Paulo. So when I used to go to work, there were two cans flying over my head and I'd hear parrots at lunchtime. And that conservation land just around the offices was something I'll never forget. It also really helped me to learn about vaccines and the public health process for the pandemic and all of the work that goes into creating these very in-depth studies that are clinical studies, which have really saved the way of life that we have today, just based on the developments in science in the last 10 years. I think most successful people are able to take setbacks and turn them into successes. That is true. But can you talk about other great successes that you've had that you're proud of? A lot of my career has been a mix of taking big risks and big steps and challenges to kind of find the next place in my career. And one of the things that I'm actually most proud of is the fact that as a very young student, I took the leap of faith of leaving the U.S. and becoming an expat for 11 years to discover my own path, to, to really explore the world, to study and work in other countries, and to become fluent in a language that I had been exposed to only partially in my childhood, and then becoming professional and being able to work in the business language was something that took every ounce of brain power that I had to become successful in doing. So those years of my life were the beginning of a trajectory that I'm on now. And I would say that in completing those independently was definitely one of my biggest successes. When you look ahead 10, 20, 30 years, how do you see the planet and humans on the planet? Have we done a good job or are we in trouble? Yeah, I think you said earlier that something I mentioned was scaring you. And, and to be honest, I really feel that because of the movement that we're seeing now, not just in the finance sector, not just in energy and tech and in industry, I'm very optimistic that the next 10 years will be a revolution in not only technology, but in the education of our entire society around this not just due to the pandemic opening our minds to what disruption really means at the global scale. I'm very encouraged by the business community as well as our political community's focus and refocus on climate change. So I'm hopeful that when I'm seeing my nephews and nieces going into college in 20 years from now, we're not gonna be in a position where Boston doesn't exist. I'm hopeful that we're going to find solutions between now and then and that our economy and all of government approach and all society approach will be effective. Has the pandemic affected your vision at all, made you see things differently? It definitely has. I think it has made me rethink my own career goals and purpose. It has acted as a shock to make me realize that my career needs to have a greater purpose and in that go back to my roots and my values and have that be my North Star. 
because as you mentioned earlier, you need something that makes you wake up at the beginning of the day and get you through the night. And there's nothing more powerful than feeling like you're being a part of a movement where you're helping to find solutions so that the next generation isn't going to suffer and is going to have the same quality of life that we have now. I remember when I was in high school that my English teacher said that his generation had wars to protest against, but that our generation did not have anything like that. And the closest thing we had was smoking. We certainly find ourselves now with a mission that everybody that wants to make a difference can get behind and join the cause. And I think that's good. I think that's good to feel like life is about more than making money or getting ahead. I totally agree. And I think to add to that, it's possible for anyone to be in a climate job. The way that we think about careers is often so linear. And today, when you think about what solutions are needed, you could be a climate engineer, you could be a climate accountant, you could be a climate educator. There's every every element of every part of our society and what we think of our education system needs to be refocused to find solutions. And so I feel as though my thinking has really shifted because in the same way the pandemic just took over every, everyone's lives and thinking, I'm hopeful that moving forward, we're gonna have that same approach to climate change. Hopefully it doesn't have to get so bad right. <laughs> that the pandemic got pretty bad before everybody said, hey, we gotta do something. Exactly. Hopefully climate will be attacked earlier in its life. It's already pretty deep, actually. Hmm. Do you have any advice that you want to share with my listening audience for folks that want to help mitigate climate change? Working locally in my own town was a source of incredible feeling of community for me, one that I think the pandemic took away for a short period of time and that I was able to regain. And it also helped me refocus. It's also where I feel for your audience, it's where we as individuals can make the greatest impact. We tend to take for granted the fact that our leaders are the ones who do all of the decision-making. And in reality, there is so much as an individual that you can do to make change happen, either from a policy standpoint, from a decision standpoint, from a voter's standpoint. And as soon as that is implemented at a community level, things can change rapidly. And so to those who may feel that as individuals, we can't really implement change, I would highly recommend organizing at the community level and get involved in projects and find a way to have that meaning be felt in a local way. Do you have any questions that you want to ask me? I was reading about your company and about some of your career path, Lee, and and I was curious what your thoughts are. You know, as someone who has championed sustainability nationally for so many years, what do you feel are the biggest opportunities for those trying to enter the sustainability sector, the climate solutions sector? And what do you feel is maybe exceptional or special about the moment that we're in with regards to climate solutions? One thing that I think is very interesting is that we happen to be at a time where we don't have much time. And yet we do have most of the technology that we need to solve the problem. So it's pretty amazing in that if we had been in this place from a climate change perspective 30 years ago, we just didn't have the technology to help and we would have had to just sit idly by 
working on technology and hoping that we found it. But luckily, we have that tech. But as you said, it's more than technology. There's many other ways to get engaged. And I think people just have to look at how they can get engaged. And there's a tool called En-ROADS that shows that we have to work on it from many different angles on the problem if we're going to be successful. And so any of those ways can make a big difference. And as you said, getting involved locally, even getting involved in government is huge because you can make a, a real difference. I don't know if that was a great answer, but I did the best I could. It's interesting to hear that we may be at a pivotal point and also in a special moment for others to get involved and for more to join the movement. With that very positive ending note, <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. You really believe in climate change mitigation. You think that we need to rely more on education. You spend time leading conservation. Everybody needs to become part of the conversation. We need to leverage our ability because of nature's inherent fragility. The pandemic, you know, it has exposed that it's coming soon. It's something we all knows. It can't be just on technology that we have a reliance. We need better government to give us better guidance. I'm really glad you majored in political science. After your project abroad, you had the will and you got to work in the last five miles of rainforest in Brazil. You're hoping that education and technology is moving fast and that will help our planet last. At first you made me nervous, but then that it wasn't so scary. Thank you very much, Anna Leary. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lee. This was a lot of fun. Anna hit a home run with me in talking about looking back to not see a life being spent as an observer and instead to participate, to make a difference, to organize communities, and to help people understand the fragility of nature and that we rely on nature for survival, sustenance, our economy, and that nature connects us all together. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Anna's advice to get engaged in local climate change efforts, to make a difference, and to re-engage with the community is a wonderful way to help the planet, your friends, and yourself. There are so many areas to get involved in and help mitigate climate change.